0: We never do podcasts on Thursday. I know it just so happens that I'm working from home today. Well, that's a good deal. I like that. I know, me too. Well, how's your emotional temperature today? Uh,
1: I think my emotional temperature is pretty good. Not, yeah. not anything crazy going on. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'll take it. What about you?
0: Yeah, mine's pretty good. It's kind of like. Um... Same all, same all right right now. Although I will say, so maybe it's a little bit, a little bit something. I will say that like my little bookmarks of um, making a splash. So that's kind of fun. I got. Well, I've been seeing them on,
1: you're posting them on Facebook and they are fabulous. I love the Christmas red with the gnomes.
0: Yeah. We got a whole theme of some angels and yes. some vintage Christmas ones and um yes and i have some paper that's green and red just a little bit not too many that's where i put the gnomes on which i think i'm the only one who thought that was funny posts <laughs> you know what i mean there's <laughs> the only one who got that i think but uh yeah so i'm gonna put them all i'm gonna put them up this weekend and then i'm then i'm out of the christmas stickers I have i have more coming the people that i buy the stickers from are Um, Etsy crafters and they make them in their homes like I had looked at one and it was who said um, their stickers were made in Taiwan and one said their stickers you know was from China and but I don't buy them from them I like I find them from crafters at home I I have bought um, the bags the sachet bags that I have I bought those from um, somebody in Croatia the handmade linen bags so you don't have to be in the United States for me to want to buy your stuff but it needs to be a good crafter you know yeah and, good good handmade not yeah bulk
1: made
0: yeah I'm not here to support you know corporations and industry I'm here I myself am here to support the crafters and so the ones so these are really some of them are really adorable they're so interesting to look at the faces on the angels and um, well, we'll
1: put some links or you'll have to post some pictures on our Facebook page, ALS Caregivers and Beyond. That way our listeners can find us and kind of see what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. And I have tassels that'll come in. I'm gonna put tassels on them and now
1: you're just getting fancy and showing off.
0: I don't know. Well, that was Kate's idea. She was like, well, <laughs> If you need tassels, and I said, Okay, I like, here's a little tassel. Oh, I love it. Something and... laminated because if you have just paper, I like to see the paper myself and touch it, but I don't think it would last very long. I think it'll, you know, it's it has some glitter on it. I, I think it's gonna fall apart. It'll rip. They're they're pretty delicate when they're when they're paper. I paper. Put you know, I make them strong, but still, I think as a bookmark, it would lose it its its integrity. So. Uh-huh. So they're laminated so i have to punch holes in them it's got a little process to finish them off but i'm i'm hoping to get them lo- all loaded this weekend and then if they do well and they sell out fast i have more stickers coming and i'll do more christmas ones nice yeah so i'm i'm happy about that that's a good one um so let's talk about today belonging i like that yeah it's a, it's a big conversation to have as an ALS caregiver. There can be a sense of not belonging in the big world. Um yeah. So you can a lot of isolation that leads to that. Yeah, you, you can't get out like other people do. And you know, I was a caregiver for Tom prior to him having ALS. We've, you know, for our listeners, we talked about that on um, I think in our first podcast. And I, but I did a lot. I wasn't isolated then. I was a little bit isolated in that um, people didn't understand what was wrong with him because they couldn't see it. He didn't have an amputation. He didn't, you know, have any paralysis or anything. It was all cognitive problems in his brain, his ability to think. He had, and he still has them. All, all, he has olfactory seizures. So that's from smelling and auditory from hearing seizures. And he, you know, his brain trips up, and you can't see that happen. Like somebody with a TBI, you can't necessarily see that somebody has a TBI, and that and that can be difficult. Only because people don't understand why is he going to work every day, and then you don't. You sometimes want to explain it, and sometimes you don't want to explain it because sometimes you feel like, why should I have to explain that? I told you he's disabled. That should be enough.
1: And I want to say, like, you're talking about that. And before Tom was diagnosed with ALS, like, we had not been in the military community. I mean, he was a veteran, yes. But we weren't active in this community. I didn't understand what that was. And and it was a term I kept hearing once I became a caregiver, because there are caregivers to invisible wounds. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're talking about, is the invisible wounds that people don't see. It was just a term I had never heard of or was not familiar with, but now, now I am. And I'm, and I don't know if all of our listeners are aware of that. Maybe they are.
0: Maybe, but I mean, if you're not, it's um, you know, it's, it can be isolating in its own way. Cause you go to say a gathering with, with people, with friends or relatives, and they don't necessarily understand why, um, he's on disability and that he's not able to go to work all the time. And then they don't know what kind of questions to ask him. And because, you know, we talk about work. So what do you do and how has work been? And, you know, what have you been working on at work? You know, and he's, he's not in that lane anymore. He wasn't. And so what, how do you have a conversation with him? He was pretty good at handling that, but he also has experienced a huge hearing loss with that brain infection. And, um, and so that makes it difficult for him to hear everything that people are saying so it was it was kind of weird we ended up not being as invited to things we became more isolated from people over the years S- from a social perspective as a couple that was impactful but from what my things that I did all the time it didn't imp- it didn't i wasn't isolated like i am now so i like i was going to school i finished my undergrad well, he, I got, when he got sick, I was doing my undergrad and then I finished it. And then I did two graduate degrees. It was like an addiction going to school. It was, it was insanity. And and I did all of those things and raised the kids. And I was, so I was out with the kids You know one of them played basketball and one of them was playing football and they're both were on swim teams. So I was always out and about talking to people and I worked full-time. The isolation is a different kind of isolation and then now, because when I was in those places and doing those things, I was Kate's mom and Sean's mom. And I was really loud at cheering for the kids. I was, I was a big mouth as a, as a fan, you know, go swim, pull, pull, and they doing all their <laughs> swimming stuff. And oh my God, he lost the ball, you know, whatever. I was really, you know, I was really out there and I had a lot of, um, you know, friendships outside of my relationship with Tom that filled my bucket but this now is very different um this kind of isolation last week a lot of our friends went to the elizabeth doll foundation gala they uh, did those who aren't don't remember that we're both elizabeth, laura and i both elizabeth Dole fellows um and we watched for i watched from afar you had a different situation we talked about that last week with you going to mexico and not going to the gala And I liked being involved. I liked that they called me and um, one of our friends, Tara, FaceTimed me. And I liked that she did that, but I still felt the isolation. It doesn't matter. You still feel the isolation. And it would be nice to be with people who pretty much understand what your everyday life is because your sense of humor is different. Like you can't talk about things that we talk about with other people. It would be appalling to them. Oh, yeah. Right? Like- uh, we talk about pre-death and post-death and you know <laughs> what life is like now and then what life will be like later. And we talk about we talk about death fairly easily.
1: Yeah, it's very matter of fact because it's such
0: a huge
1: part of our our life. It's and that's the life of a terminal disease.
0: Yeah, and then I have to remember that other people don't talk about those kinds of things like we do, where they tend to feel sorry like Oh, no, that's so hard. That's so sad. And you feel like, I know I didn't tell you that for that reason, though. I was just basically telling you that he has a terminal disease so that you understand the situation that we're in. But I don't want to talk about that. I just wanted to tell you that. So you understood it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm
1: not going to protect you from it. I know when um, Tom was first diagnosed and this was even when we lost our twins and our son. (laughs) I would tell people and part of me honestly would tell them because I knew that was uncomfortable for them. And I wanted them to feel just a little bit uncomfortable because it was something I lived with daily. And I did that. I noticed I did that a little bit when Tom was first diagnosed, just because I just wanted them to have a glimpse into this life, which in reality, you can't, you, you, absolutely cannot understand this life unless you are walking in
0: it mm-hmm. true as much as we share about it with our friends and our peers you they don't really understand it and i guess that's true of a lot of things you know like when sean was deployed people didn't understand that
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they would say things that were so sometimes so offbeat, like, well, you know he's gonna come home. And you know, we we're all praying for him, so you know he's gonna come home. And I would say, Okay, that like really hurts my heart that you're saying that because first of all, he's in the infantry. So it's not it's not and he had one whole deployment when he was on a scout sniper team. So and he was a machine gunner in the invasion, which is a high, high value kill for the enemy when you're the machine gunner. And so I thought, but what about the other people? Like, don't we pray for everybody who's over there? Like, so you think somebody didn't get prayed for, they were bad. Like, I just don't, I don't think about, my faith doesn't go that way. My faith goes more like, I pray that I'll be strong in the face of adversity, that I'll be able to see the people who can handle my pain and not turn away from me rather than, you know, I pray that he'll come home safe. I pray that he would know what to do in difficult times that he'll Mm -hmm. be strong. So it's very different. And I sometimes would have to bite my tongue because they clearly didn't understand that because why would Eric not come home, but Sean come home? It doesn't, you know, so I just think people didn't understand what that whole life was about. And I think that they don't understand what this life is about. And we don't, I don't understand what it is for somebody to have a terminal cancer. Right. I don't understand that. But I, but I'm open to understanding it though, just because we live a life where it is difficult to understand it. But I I
1: think that's what we, I know that's how I handle situations. If I'm, if it's a situation I'm not familiar with, or it's, it's hard for me to relate. I relate on the fact that, you know, I've gone through this. I can't judge anybody else's journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I definitely can't compare anybody else's journey. Um, one of the things that I, I often see, and and I felt when Tom was going through his, his ALS journey was this comparing of how hard our lives are. And even now I'll have friends go, well, you know, it's, it's not on the same level of you going through ALS and losing, I'm like, you know what? We all have difficult journeys and they're difficult to us individually. I am not in a race to compare my, my trauma, my sadness with anybody else. It's all relative at this point. Mm -hmm. And I hope I do a better job and not say things to people like, oh, well, you know, we'll pray that he comes home.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one, you know, when people say that, because they don't mean any harm, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem comforting either when people, yeah. say, you know, so I think it's tough to belong. It's tough to, like, I'm, I'm really struggling with where do I belong and where will I belong? I'm 63 years old. We've been at this for 13 years. I didn't think we'd go this long. I I thought like everybody who's diagnosed, they told you have two to five years from diagnosis to live, maybe six years, and maybe one year, you know? Yeah. Um, And I was prepared for all of that. But I wasn't prepared for this, this length of time. And it's a little bit, it's a little scary, because I am getting older. So it's harder to think of him becoming more paralyzed, which I see certainly slowly, but I see it happening more. You know, we were talking before we went on about how his neck is stiff all of the time. And, you know, that's a symptom of his, his atrophying and you know, other, yeah. the other things as well. And that'll always be harder for me. The more paralyzed he gets, it'll be more difficult for me. Even if we have help in the house, there's still the burden of the care Responsibilities, the physical responsibilities will be there for me. And then, but then where do you belong? Like I have those gaps, which I feel like you can relate to these gaps during the day where you're not needed for anything. But then what do you do with the gap?
1: It's oh, yeah, hard. I totally can relate to that. It's hard to even, even on this side of the journey, the beyond, I still have a hard time. Feeling like I belong because I want to belong to my old world, my old life. And that life is gone. It's, it's, I'm not going to be able to, to grab that again, because again, that old world was that old life was mine and Tom's life. Mm -hmm. And in this life, I, I just haven't felt, or I haven't found my place yet. That's, that's been a hard, hard thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't feel like I belong really anywhere right now. I'm still trying to make my way
0: through. And I know I belong in the ALS lane. I mean, I'm certain of that. Like, man, it's a hard lane to be in, you know? Like, I've just known so many people who have died now over the years. And it's hard to stay in there. And you feel compelled to stay in there, but you also need rest. And I think it's okay to take rest from from things that are hard on our hearts.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. And going back to feeling like, um, you know, missing it, the, the convening and not feeling like where you belong. You know, I had a similar experience when I was at, um, it was not the convening, the gala, which was just last week in May, we had the convening and that was the first time I had the opportunity to really hang out with other caregivers Mm -hmm. and not have part of me like still thinking about, is Tom okay? I need to stay close to a phone. Is something going to happen in Texas? And I'm in DC. And that was one of the first times that I felt comfortable in a group. So I guess you could say, I, I did feel like I felt a little more like I belonged. It just was more comfortable being there. So I I do see where you were feeling, you know, sad or, you know, alone or wish you could have been at the gala to be with those people. Because, because while I don't feel, and, and don't get me wrong, I feel comfortable in the ALS world. You know, you're my people, Mary. It's, it's trying to get my life. I still struggle with trying to have a life outside of my ALS world. And that's where I don't belong. We've, I've, lo- I've lost friends um, during this journey. They just didn't know how to handle the immense emotions and watching Tom slowly die. It was hard on them which I know sounds like you're like, really? It was, what about living this life? But again, I try not to compare. Um, It's hard sometimes, but I try not to. So yeah, so this community is where my people are. But I need people outside this community as well. Because like you said, I'm at the point now, you know, seven years in this ALS life seven and a half years, people die. They, it's, it's inevitable. You meet people, you adore them, you know, on social media, they become your, you know, social media friends and then they're gone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it is, it is hard in this community to be, and we're a tight-knit community too, as far as the ALS families go. And it's, it's difficult And so I am struggling to find myself a community and where I belong
0: outside of the ALS world. I think that's understandable. I, um, for years, I had my own thing. You know, I was a teacher. That's how I got away from, from ALS. And that's how you got away when you went to work every day. Yeah. And we would talk to each other sometimes by... Email, I don't know that we texted really. We don't text a lot anyway, but I think we did by email before you left in the morning. And I was sitting at my desk here because I was teaching online then and we communicated a little bit. But that was like an escape for me all the time was to be able to have well not all the time, but I mean I knew that when I went in to my office and I closed the door, I was working on my work. That had nothing to do with ALS. And It was good for me, but it was also an isolating job to teach virtually. And that was one of the things I had done in preparation for the three to five years thinking, well, I could teach online for a few years and then I'll go back to teaching. Well, here we are and I'll never go back to teaching. I know I can almost hear people say, you don't know that you might go back to teaching. I'm here to tell you that if I'm 63 now and my guy lives two more years, I'm 65. And I promise you that you would never want to be in a high school classroom at 65 years old. Nobody's got that kind of energy. And the whole like culture of high school kids has changed. My, I did my, I let my license lapse deliberately. So I would never be tempted to use it in that way because you could be, I liked teaching a lot, but it's gone. Just like that's gone for you. What what you would, what you did before you had to leave work. And so it puts you in like a little bit of a void and you don't you don't have that sense of belonging. Like I'm good with doing the advocacy that we do with ALS, but I can't have it be my whole life. That's how I got into making paper and making bookmarks. And I even laugh at myself that I'm doing this because I have two graduate degrees and this is what I'm doing. But I'm not I laugh at myself in a really good way, you know. I'm not embarrassed about it at all, which I would have been several years ago. I'd have been like, oh, that's great. You're making paper and bookmarks, and you're trying to sell them. Well, I am, and it's not so easy to do. It's a whole craft that you have to learn, and I'm um, I'm not here to defend it either. I just think what a great thing because I came up with something to save myself. That it's called. That's what I call it. Operation Saving Mary. That's what I should have called my my shop. I did not call it that, but I, I could have called it that. That could
1: if- be a line of paper products of things that you make is Operation Saving Mary.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's fun and it's interesting to do. And I almost feel like with my new, these Christmas ones, I almost chewed off too much. And then I thought, well, you can, you control the flow of it. Just go ahead and post it out there that they'll be posted over the weekend. Yeah. Instead of the next day, because I can't, I can't promise anybody exactly when they'll be done. But I'll be done and you'll like them. They're really pretty. They're they're really nice. But the, the point is that it was to save, I had to, I have to, and maybe this isn't the answer to saving myself, but maybe it's the beginning of it. Maybe it leads to something. I'm open to it to be anything that grows from this or doesn't grow from this, but I did this, so I'm open to another idea. That for me personally, and I can't speak for any other caregivers on the whole planet, no matter what lane you're caregiving in, tbi spinal cord injuries, dementia, ALS, whatever it is, we're all different, and we all have different caregiving experiences. For me personally, I need to have myself in something else because I have for two years, the last two years, I've lost myself, and it doesn't feel good to me. i'm I'm better than that. I'm better than losing myself into it where I can't get out of it and I don't have something else to think about. I love that. I love that
1: you're so aw- self-aware about that that I think is one of the struggles I have is just finding who I am I mean we're what are we 14 months 15 months since Tom passed and I think in my head that I should be further along I should have figured some stuff out by now but I I haven't I I can't seem to figure out what I I need to do to save Laura advocacy for sure is something that is near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. But now I find that I'm, I'm more picking and choosing what I want to advocate and how I want to advocate it, The urgency of advocating for everything is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things that do resonate with me and and i do feel strong about but other than advocacy i'm i'm still working to figure out what what that is and and that could also be why i don't feel like i belong i have a girlfriend that's having you know a bunko party tonight and i've never done bunko i don't know how to play bunko i'll be honest it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me because i'm not a game playing kind of person but the idea of that community or a group of people that meet that that does sound nice I'm not gonna lie Are you gonna go not at all
0: but if I was there we could go together I don't know not anything. that I can leave Tom but like you know like we could we could drag Tom with us like we could go together you know what I mean because I mean like that I mean I can't walk into a room Of people even if I know a lot of them and not feel terrified yeah well and I think that's part of like
1: the I don't you know feeling like you don't belong And and I'm sure it's it's a lot of internal we don't feel it I just don't feel like I have a place now because I was I was Laura this environmental consultant I was Laura Tom's wife I was Gary's wife for you know 32 years Trey's mom Susan and Kay's sister. But now when I think of who Laura is, you know, it's just, I'm the widow. And when I hate that, I hate knowing that I'm a widow, nothing I can do about it, but I still hate it. But that's, I just don't feel like widow Laura belongs anywhere. Mm-hmm. She's uncomfortable in groups because everybody's talking about, you know, their. Families or their husbands. I attended a. Um, we have a local non-veteran nonpro- nonprofit, and I attended one of their events. It was like a first Friday dinner where they graciously provide dinner to, you know, families, veteran families, and first responders. And while it was a great event, and I could see all of the wonderful, smiling, appreciative faces, the only thing I felt was I was in a room full of people, and it was. I felt so alone Mm. in a room full of people because I just I know I belong, but internally I didn't feel like I belonged because it wasn't I didn't have a family. I have my son, but for me, you know, always it was mom, dad and Trey. So, yes, there are areas where in my life that I don't feel like I belong.
0: It's going to take time.
1: It is. And I, that's part of the problem. I think that I'm having is, you know, your heart says one thing and your head says another Mm -hmm. and getting those two to kind of line up has been really hard there. It hasn't happened yet. And I look forward to the time that it does happen. Um, I'm impatient. I want it to happen. I want to feel like I'm, I'm not unsettled i want to be settled and mm-hmm. and maybe that'll come when i start to feel like i belong you know in my different communities that i'm part of
0: yeah there's no time frame for these things you know there's no time frame for grief and and then just working through loss and figuring out who you are it's just a whole different phase of life for you yeah I have a reading today from, because everybody must be waiting for this reading, right? I I am.
1: (laughs) Pins and needles, man.
0: You didn't even tell me
1: what you're going to read from.
0: It's from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. thought I was gifted through one of the secret Santa things that we do as a foundation among the dull Fellows, so I feel like I know who gave it to me, but. We never reveal who it is, so I'm not. Okay, so who do you think gave it to you? I think Steph Smith gave it to me. Okay. I think so. I can't swear, though, because I don't know. I didn't ask. (laughs) Hey, did you give me that book? No, I didn't give you Hey, Steph Smith, if you listen, you need to confirm or deny the book. I just love Steph. Steph. She's so great. So maybe just a little bit of this quote. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow. A connection that can be cultivated between two people only when exists within each one of them. We can love others only as much as we love ourselves. I'll finish reading it too. There's a little bit more left to it. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can survive these injuries only if they're acknowledged, healed, and rare. Wow. I'll, I'll share that in the notes too. And I'll share the links to her book, but also sh- I'll share, I'll write what page it's on in the book so that people can go back to it. She's got some... Renee Brand has some pretty powerful rules about sharing her work out there, which is fair, because she's, she's put a lot into her career and, and her knowledge and understanding of human nature. But I, I feel like that really resonated with what we're talking about today, you know? I agree. And, and learning to love ourselves is a really important part of it. We can really lose ourselves in this life, uh, this ALS, caregiver life, but I didn't lose myself in my previous caregiving experiences with Tom, but I have lost myself and I'm finding a new person because we, who goes back to who we, what we were. We, we oh, well, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I think that's, that is the
1: story. And, and I'm sure that's a universal struggle with our listeners that are in this ALS life as well, that you do tend to lose yourself based on the kind of care that you're having to provide the isolation Mm -hmm. just because of the care and then you become isolated because family and friends they don't know how to interact with you and so they're not around so yeah I I actually I really do relate to that
0: Mm -hmm. and so it's important to find pieces of ourselves and then um and just take it from there I don't I and mean, I'm not on the other side now, so I can only find pieces of myself right now, little bits of it that will last or won't last. I know I'll never be able to be you know where I even was in the past. And I talked to somebody else about that policy circle program that you're doing for mm-hmm. you know understanding you know government policy and all that. And um, we were communicating back and forth on Facebook Messenger. And that's, you know really it's just occurring to me now. Like I understand all that because I taught it, right? I have a master's of public administration. I, I have one in healthcare administration, but I taught civics and economics and I taught AP government for years. So I understand a lot of that. And I'm sure there's some things that I don't understand that I could learn, but that's a part of myself that I don't, I, that's gone. I don't want it back. I yeah. don't want it. Anymore. It's gone. I buried it and it's over with. I grieved it and I'm done with that. I'm not moving forward in that direction anymore, but I have to, I have to find different things that are interesting for me and be free. About. Well, that will
1: be, that's our journey. And when you're on this side, I'll be there to help walk with you. And maybe I'll have learned some things that I can pass along, but I think that's just the goal for it. I mean, that's just the journey for all of us is just what is ahead. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we want everybody to keep the faith and keep strong and message us. We did get, um, I won't say the name of the person, but it was a fabulous feedback, but I will, I I'll read it. Cause it was good feedback. It was, I just found your podcasts, listen to the first two. And it was so good to hear two people talking normally about the incredibly abnormal life experience we're living through. I look forward to listening to all of the episodes. Thank you. And that for me, and I feel like you agree with this, is that's so gratifying because that's that's all we want out of this podcast is we want people to feel less alone and more normalized. What you're, what I we're agree. feeling by not belonging and feeling isolated is our, our peers in the ALS lane as caregivers, they get it. They understand it. They feel what we do. And to be able to hear that from other people is empowering. You feel less alone just because, you know, oh, that's, God, they feel the same thing I didn't even know. I didn't even know anybody felt like I did.
1: Yeah. And hopefully because of that, they won't feel so, um, like they don't belong. Not so isolated. Cause it, like we said, it, it can be incredibly isolating this, this life. And I agree. This is why we do it just so others will know that they're not alone and that we see them.
0: So we see you. That's how we're gonna end our podcast. We see you. We see you. Yep. Till the next time. Bye, Bye, Mary. See you later.